today we are going to cover a, a short portion of Scripture. Uh, I really debated within myself how many verses we should try and cover. Obviously, we are heading uh, into a very important uh, date in history. For us, we're, we're heading towards Christmas, but for us in our studies, we are headed towards, uh, and we are on uh, within hours of Jesus's uh, crucifixion, the day that Jesus would be betrayed and beaten and bloodied and hung upon the cross for your sin and for mine. And so uh, a very uh, important day. Uh, there's a lot to consider. And each of the four get- Gospels gives us so many different details regarding the events of this day. And so today we're only going to cover six verses. Okay, so hopefully that's okay with you guys. I was initially considering he- going to verse 46, but I just felt like there was too much stuff packed in there to try and cover all in one morning. And so uh, let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, or uh, perhaps if you have an electronic device, you can swipe your way there. Uh, Today we're going to be covering Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35, in a message I've entitled, Praise, Promises, and Pride. Will you please stand as we read this morning's portion of Scripture in honor of God's Word? Again, we're in Matthew 26. I know that we read verse 30 last week, but we didn't really have opportunity to expound upon it, so we're going to cover it this morning. And so follow along as I read uh, verses 30 through 35. Uh, And then we'll pray and ask God's blessings upon our time. Okay, Matthew 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night... Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter responds in verse 35. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. The blessing that it is to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. To uh, sing of your praises. To sing worship unto you. To spend time in your word. And, and to hear from you. And, and, and Father, I pray that that is what happens for each and every one of us this morning. Lord, that as we're in this place, gathered here in your presence, Father, that we would hear from you. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and speak to the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. I'm amazed, Lord, at how we can all be in so many different places and yet uh, your word speaks to each of us. And so, Father, we pray that your word would do that work uh, in our lives this morning. Speak to us, Lord. We look forward to hearing from you. And Lord, we we do just pray at this time. We want to pause and just uh, pray for those in the Philippines right now. Lord, we pray you'd be with them. Lord, we pray that you would protect them uh, from the storm that is uh, uh, just uh, barreling down upon them. Lord, we pray for just grace and we pray for mercy and uh, just uh, uh, protection. Uh, Lord, be with them, we pray. And we lift up our morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. 
never say never uh, is a cliche that many of us have heard before or, or perhaps fallen victim to. Uh, the word never is such a strong statement. And when you employ the use of this word, oftentimes it seems like you've doomed yourself to the inevitable. Okay? That you will one day have to eat those words. Maybe you were, uh, uh, maybe you are, or maybe you remember when you were single, uh, a single adult, or maybe you were uh, uh, married without any children, and you and you saw that one kid throwing a tantrum in the middle of the the store, and and you thought to yourself, and you even said to yourself, if or when I ever have kids, my children will never do that. Anybody ever said that one before? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, the problem is that oftentimes when you say that, uh, it has a way of coming back to you. And so I want to save some of you guys a little bit of heartache uh, this time. For those of you who are single or, or married without children, don't ever say that. Okay? Don't even ever think that. Okay? If you see that happening, pray for that family. Because I know that's what you will want that day when that has happening to you. Or maybe for some of you growing up as a kid, you told yourself, I'm never going to be like my mom, or I'm never going to be like my dad. Only to find that as you grow up, you've become a a near replica of your parents. You usually don't notice it at first, but one day you'll just be sitting there uh, doing something or saying something, and, and you'll just have this flashback in your mind. And all of a sudden, you're, you're a teenager again. And you hear or, or see your mom and dad doing or saying the same exact thing that you just said. And you're kind of hit. Uh, you get this, really, a sense of great disappointment, I think, and shock that just comes over. And you're like, how did that just happen? Like, I, I was never going to do that. And yet now I'm doing and saying the things that my mom and dad always did. Or, or maybe, uh, how many of you guys, uh, I think this may be a guy thing, I don't know. How many of you guys uh, ever um, said, I'm never going to own or drive a minivan? Okay. Yeah, see, thank you. And yet that parking lot out there is filled with minivans. <laughs> it's a station wagon. Or it's my wife's car. You know, we have lots of different ways to get around it. Okay. <laughs> I you know, it doesn't always have to be a negative thing that happens when that never word is deployed. I remember there used to be this girl uh, that went to the church that my family and I were sent out of from uh, California. Uh, her name was Rosie. And uh, Rosie was a hardcore uh, Mexican girl that was caught up in the gang scene whose mom uh, faithfully attended worship service, was praying for her all the time, asking for prayer for her all the time. From time to time, Rosie would have to come along with her mom to church services, and she would actually sit outside the church, and she would just give everyone evil glares as they walked by uh, and passed by on their way into church. She was tatted up. She had, you know, like the teardrop tattoos and, you know, just the whole scene, if you can kind of imagine, you know, dressed always in black and bandanas and, and just really hardcore. She would actually like cuss people out at church and so we had to like keep her away from people sometimes. And you know, and and it was easy to think and there was people that would say, that girl is, she's never going to give her life to the Lord. That girl's like just 
she's really gone. And yet the Lord got a hold of her life in an incredible way. And, and, and she got saved, and, and the Lord transformed her into a beautiful, young, uh, godly woman who uh, actually went out and joined the mission field, and she helped to serve in Bible colleges all around the world. Uh, amazing testimony uh, of someone who you thought, never. <laughs> just, just, that's not going to happen. You know, uh, maybe you know of a testimony like that, someone you thought or even said before that they're never going to come to Christ. That person uh, is lost, and yet God did a miracle and touched their life. You know, God has a way of working out things that we think are impossible, things that we think will never happen. He brings to fruition. I remember that it wasn't too long ago that I repeatedly used to say, I'm never going to be a pastor. You know, I just felt like that wasn't what God had called me to do. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I was happy being an assistant and just helping things behind the scenes. And there was joy in that. Uh, and yet here I am. You know, I remember when I was living in Okinawa, I told Farah on numerous occasions, we are never moving. I, I, I said that. Uh, we had a great apartment set up in Okinawa. Uh, I distinctly remember... One time we were in the car driving around in a neighborhood and she pointed out a couple different houses and I looked her right in the eye and I told her plain as day, we are never moving out of our apartment in Misaki. Because like, we had just had a really great setup. I think the, the Schmitz were just there and they saw our setup. And, and to me, you know, it was just easy to say that. And she looked at me and she actually said, never say never. And I used to say, well, I remember ar- not arguing in a, you know, like, you know, argue, argue, but arguing with her and and telling her that I could say never because I was so confident that that it couldn't get any better than what we had. Like it, it God's blessings are showering us right here. There's no way we're going to leave God's blessings, and so we're not ever leaving. And I'm confident of that. And yet, little did I know, the Lord would call us to move here to Iwakuni uh, and bless us with a new home and a, and a new ministry and new f- families and new friends. And it's been an incredible blessing, uh, rich joy to come and be here. And, and uh, I was talking with the Schmitz and they said, oh, it was so nice there. You must have been hard. And I said, no, really, it, it was nice there, but it's better here because this is where the Lord wants us to be. And this is where God has us. And it's great to be where God has us. But we find ourselves saying that sometimes. I'm never going to do this, only to find out uh, we will have to eat those words. And, and in our text this morning, Peter's going to deploy the never phrase. And for Peter, it's going to end up being a bad thing. Peter, although we assume had good intentions, is going to end up having to eat his words. But before we get to Peter's words, let's take a look back at our opening verse, verse 30. It says that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Recall that last week... We looked at the events leading up to and through the eating of the Passover meal. Jesus had announced to the group that one of them was going to betray him. We know that that was Judas Iscariot. And Judas, uh, after he had departed, Jesus finished the, the Passover meal with his disciples. He instituted a new covenant with them and the rest of, of real all, all of humanity. No longer were people going to come to God through the inferior system of animal sacrifices performed by sinful priests. But Jesus was going to offer His sinless life as a sacrifice once and for all. 
this new covenant, it was pictured uh, for us in the partaking of the unleavened bread, uh, a part of the Passover meal as uh, his body that would be broken for us and pictured for us in the cup. Uh, that was a picture of his blood that would be shed for us. Recall that the Lord's Supper last week when we looked at it, it was instituted as part of this Passover meal celebration. And we noted how the Passover meal, it had a very specific tradition and custom, almost like a script that you would follow throughout the meal. It was a very special feast holiday. And verse 30 says that the disciples and Jesus had sung a hymn after the completion of the Passover meal. Now, we can't say for certain, but... Tradition actually tells us that the Passover meal was to conclude with the singing of praise. Uh, Jewish tradition calls this the Hallel. And the Hallel is the Hebrew word for praise. Specifically, when used in connection to the observance of Jewish holidays, uh, Hallel refers to six psalms that were to be recited during these special feasts. Psalms 113 through 118. These are known as the Hallel Psalms. Okay? These uh, six psalms were traditionally part of the Passover meal. As you would kind of go through and you'd, you'd have, okay, we're going to have the first cup and start the meal. There would be, you would do the first two at the very beginning. Psalm 113, Psalm 114 would be part of an introduction to the Passover meal, starting with praise. And then at the end of the, pray, or at the, end of the meal, uh, they would sing the remaining four songs. Uh, Psalm 115, 16, 17, and 18. 115, 116, 117, 118. Uh, Tradition also says that sometimes other songs would be sung after the close of the meal. One in particular is Psalm 136, uh, which is commonly referred to as the Great Hallel. Whether or not Jesus sung Psalm 115 through 118, or, or Psalm 136, or possibly another psalm of praise, doesn't change the fact that Jesus led his disciples in singing praise on this fateful night. And I think this is something worth noting and and drawing from. Jesus, on this night, he sang praise unto God. Consider the details of the night thus far. Jesus has already announced to his 12 closest companions that one of them was going to betray him. Here in verses 31, as we read, he describes how not only will one betray him, but every single one of them is going to stumble because of him. They will be scattered. They will desert him in arguably his most desperate hour. Jesus has the foreknowledge to know what lies before him in just a few hours. The physical pain of flogging and crucifixion. The wrath of God being poured out upon him. And in spite of all that has happened and is going to happen this night, Jesus was able to praise the Lord. And it made me ask the question to myself, how is that? How is it that Jesus was able to praise the Lord that night? When those closest to him are going to betray him and desert him, the very Father is going to turn his face from him and forsake him while upon the cross, how can he praise God and worship? And the answer is actually quite simple. 
You see, Jesus knew something that I think sometimes we have a tendency to forget. That, that praise and worship is not about us. Praise and worship has as little to do with you and me at all. Praise and worship has everything to do with God and who He is and what He has done for us. You see, God is worthy of our praise and worship no matter what we are going through. Praise and worship is not only to be offered when things are going well, when things are all as they should be as we sing. Praise and worship is to be offered at any and all times. When times are tough, when we're going through difficult times, hardships, we can still praise the Lord. He has not changed. The Lord has not changed. He is still in control. He still has a plan. And He's still worthy of our praise, no matter what's going on. Sometimes I think we look at praise and worship from a, a self, selfish perspective. We, we can think, you know, I, don't, I really don't like this song, or I don't like this style, or you know, I just don't feel like worshiping the Lord. And, and we make worship and praise about us, and how we feel, and how, uh, what our emotions are of the time. But praise and worship isn't supposed to be about us. It, it's about the Lord. You know, uh, we should always offer up our praise to the Lord. Jesus was about to face the most difficult hours of his entire life on earth, and he still was able to praise God. And I think Jesus leaves for us an incredible example to follow. That we can praise and worship the Lord no matter what life brings our way. No matter what's happening in life, we can still praise God. We still have reason to praise God no matter what. And he sets for us a wonderful example to follow. Well, back to our text here, verse 30. He says that after they praised the Lord, they departed the city of Jerusalem and headed again back to the Mount of Olives. Interestingly, Matthew does not record for us many of the details of what transpired en route to the Mount of Olives. John, though, uh, gives us a lot of details uh, of what happens. John in his gospel records for us many lessons and instructions that Jesus gave that night to his disciples. In fact, if you read the, through the book of John, all of John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 all deal with things that were said and taught during that time from leaving Jerusalem and heading toward the Mount of Olives, when Jesus would talk about how He is the way, the truth, and the life, how He was the vine and, and uh, they needed to be plugged into Him. He was the true vine. Talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit coming and, and just so many things. But Matthew doesn't tell us any of that stuff. He doesn't focus in on that. Here we just get a couple verses focused in on an exchange of words with Peter and Jesus. Uh, and so let's look and see what happens next. Verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus here, he drops a, a, another bomb on them. Okay, uh, Not only is one of them going to betray him, but all of them are going to be made to stumble because of him. You know, imagine, if you will, the disciples. 
Okay, they just finished the Passover meal. It's a, a time of rejoicing and celebration. Uh, they're singing praises, returning to the Mount of Olives, uh, most likely thinking that they're headed back to, to Bethel where they had been staying throughout the week, going to churn in for the night and just you know, look back upon a great day. Uh, and, and then the Lord, he, he tells them that this night, this very night, that every single one of them was going to stumble because of him. You know, the word stumble in the Greek is, is skandalizo. Uh, we get our modern English word scandal from this word. The root word is actually connected to the idea of a trap or a stumbling block. Uh, figuratively, it means to be a stumbling block to someone or to cause someone to stumble at or in something uh, or to give a cause of offense to someone. Jesus said that he... And what happens to him this night was going to give cause for each of them to stumble, for each of them to fall. And, of course, we have the advantage of knowing uh, what is going to happen this night to Jesus uh, to cause them to stumble, to cause them to fall. And Jesus makes reference to it here when he quotes from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, when he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Zechariah uh, prophesied about Jesus and his disciples when he spoke of the shepherd being struck and the sheep scattering. Indeed, the shepherd would be struck on this day and they would all be made to scatter. Jesus' arrest and trial will prove to be too much for them to process, even after he had tried to prepare them beforehand by, by warning them of these things to come. The truth of the matter is that when opportunity came for them to make a stand for Christ, none were there to do so. They all fell short. They all ended up deserting him. Now, before we start pointing fingers and shaking our heads in disappointment at the disciples and their failure, I wonder about us and the opportunities that the Lord has given for us to make a stand for Him. How many times has the Lord given us a chance to speak up for Christ and His ways only to find ourselves being silent? Situations at home, Situations in the office, uh, in your neighborhood, or in your community. Opportunities to share your testimony. Opportunities to share your faith with those around you. Do we take advantage of them? Do we seize those opportunities to make a stand for Christ and what we believe in? You know, if you're like me, I imagine that each of you can recall times where you wanted to say something, but... But fear got in the way of your faith. And you remained silent instead of making a stand. Here's the thing. I think it's important to note this, okay? It's only going to get harder as days go on to live for Christ and to make a stand for Him. If you look around in this world today, the world is not heading in a direction that is going to make it easier to be a Christian. It's already starting 
Okay? Christians, uh, Christian beliefs, Christian values and morals are all under attack. The Bible is under attack. Christians that try to adhere to God's word, they are attacked. They are labeled as extremists and hate mongers. Christians are being identified as bigots and intolerant of others. And if we can't make a stand for him now, what hope do we have in doing so when things get even worse? Because things will get worse. We need to start seizing those opportunities now to be prepared for, uh, uh, prepare us for the difficult times that are coming. We need to be prepared to make a stand for Christ. You know, let's be in prayer. Let's be prepared for those opportunities. Let's be those that are able to make a stand for Christ and for our faith when those opportunities are presented. We can look at the disciples and we can shake our head and say, oh, I can't believe they all deserted Him. But... Then again, how many times have we fallen short? How many times has our faith caused us to stumble because we won't stand up for Him? So we need to be careful. We need to be prepared. Verse 32 says, But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. In this simple statement, Jesus gives two important promises to His disciples. He gave to them the promise of the resurrection... And he gave them the promise of being reunited in Galilee. Okay? Jesus just spoke to them during the Passover meal about how his body would be broken for them and how his blood would be shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus is getting ready to head to the cross and die for the sins of all mankind. His body will be nailed to the cross and he will suffer an agonizing death. But that is not the end of the story. As you all are aware, Jesus would rise from the dead, defeating death and the grave and granting to us victory through faith. As important as the cross was for Jesus in fulfilling His mission, without the resurrection, the work on the cross would have been for naught. It wouldn't have mattered if not for the resurrection. The resurrection is vital. It is the pillar of of our faith, really. Uh, Our faith in Christ. Without the resurrection, Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he states that our faith would be empty. Uh, A few verses later, in fact, he said that our faith would be futile and that we would still all be lost in our sins, if not for the resurrection. The promise of the resurrection gives to us hope in a risen Savior that has the ability to grant to us the victory that He obtained over sin and over death. The promise is so important that He gives to the disciples this promise of the resurrection. The second promise that He gave them was the promise of reuniting with them. And not only that, as we'll see, He told them that He would go before them to Galilee, promising to see them again there. For some time now, the Lord has been telling His disciples that He was going to be leaving them, that He was going away. But here He gives them a promise to be reunited. And actually, uh, John chapter 21 actually tells us about that meeting in Galilee. A very special thing happened in Galilee when He was reunited with His disciples. 
And Galilee is where Jesus restored Peter. The man who would eventually deny ever knowing the Lord three times would be asked three separate times if he loved the Lord. And God would restore him and say, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, tend to my sheep. And he would be restored into ministry. You see, the the promise of Galilee was not only a, a promise of reuniting with them, but it was a promise of restoration for them. For all the disciples were going to stumble and fall, but Galilee was a promise of restoration. Two great promises were given to the disciples on this night, and do you know what happened? They forgot. They forgot about these promises. On the first day of the week after Jesus had been buried in the tomb, certain women came to the tomb bringing with them spices for his body. And to their shock and amazement, the large stone which had been placed in front of the tomb had been rolled away, and the tomb was empty. And two angels appeared to these women, asking them why they were seeking the living among the dead. And they said to the women, He is not here, but is risen. The angels told the ladies to go quickly and tell the disciples that He was going before them to Galilee. Even though the Lord promised to be reunited with them in Galilee, the disciples were still hanging out in Jerusalem. They needed to be reminded, hey, start heading to Galilee. Hey, that's where I'm going to meet you. That was the message that he gave the ladies to tell them. Tell them that I'm risen. Tell Tell them to go to Galilee. The ladies hurried off to tell the disciples, and when the disciples heard their report, Luke 24, 11 says that their words, the ladies' words, They seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. It had only been a couple days since Jesus gave to them the promise of the resurrection. But they didn't believe it. They had forgot all about the promise to rise. They forgot all about the promise to meet Him in Galilee. And even though these disciples failed to believe in Jesus' promises to them, Jesus still came through with His promises. The scriptures teach us, in a verse that we've looked at lately, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Even when, even when you and I blow it, God is still faithful to His promises. He is faithful even though we're not. And I'm so glad that God's promise of the resurrection and God's promise of restoration is not dependent upon my faithfulness or your faithfulness. Not that I don't like you guys or think that you're faithful, but I know you're human. Here's the thing, we're all going to blow it. And we're all going to fail the Lord at one time or another or even multiple times. But God's promise of restoration and the resurrection, it still remains. The disciples, they're going to desert Him and fail Him, but they also will be restored. These eleven will be entrusted to take the message of Jesus' victory upon the cross to the rest of the world. And seeing the example that the disciples gives to those of us who have blown it, hope, Hope that we not only will share in the victory of His resurrection, but that we can also be restored when we blow it. 
Maybe there's some of you here that feel like, man, I've really been blowing it lately. This promise is still good. The promise is still here. His promise is not based upon whether or not we've blown it or not. He's faithful. Nobody here is beyond restoration. God can use people like us, people who fall short, people who stumble from time to time, people who fail Him from time to time, or maybe even multiple times, God can still restore and God can still use. Peter responds to Jesus' allegation of stumbling in the next verse, verse 33, and it's not a good one, but we'll read it. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Oh, Peter. Can, can you imagine it? Can you, can you imagine what Peter looked like in that moment? So self-confident, so sure of himself. You know, Peter, Peter was an impulsive kind of guy. He often acted first without thinking things through. He, his mouth got, in, got him into trouble on more than one occasion as we read through the Scriptures. And I think that we can, I think that we can easily relate to Peter. Sometimes we act without a plan or, or we speak without thinking things through. Peter here, he, he basically tells the Lord that the Lord's mistaken. Lord, you got it wrong. That he would never be made to stumble. These other guys, yeah, maybe them. Maybe them. They'll probably be made to stumble, but not me. Never. I'll never be made to stumble. You know, the more I think about uh, it, and the more I just I hear it being said, and I read it, I just cringe at the thought of, of hearing Peter say, you see, you hear the words and you're, you're like, you want to capture them for Peter and put them back in his mouth and say, just take them back, you know, because you just feel bad for the guy. I'm never going to do that. These other guys, yeah, maybe, but not me. Hmm. Have you ever heard someone make a foolish statement like that? A, uh, I'll never, dot, 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 whatever that statement is. And you just kind of cringe inside because you know, oh man, they're going to have to eat those words. Peter was filled with pride and look where it led him. His pride gave him a false sense of his own abilities. His own, what he felt were his own strengths. He called out the Lord and, and told him that he was wrong. He threw his fellow disciples under the bus suggesting that, that he was superior to them, that even if all of them were to stumble, that he still wouldn't stumble. Pride. Pride is a dangerous thing to be left unchecked in our lives. You know, it's ironic that Peter's pride was based upon his belief that he wouldn't stumble, that he wouldn't fall. But what does God's Word tell us about pride? Proverbs verse 16, verse, chapter 16, verse 18 declares, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a, you guys know, what? A fall. I'll never fall. I'll never stumble. It was, it was the pride of Lucifer that led to his fall from heaven. 
Paul instructed Timothy not to lay hands on a novice because they could get filled with pride and fall into condemnation like the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 exhorts us to let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do you see the connection between pride and falling? Pride makes us vulnerable to falling. Over and over throughout the scriptures, we see this truth. Peter was being prideful. He thought, not me, not me. Everyone else maybe, but not me. I'll never fall. I'll never be made to stumble. Don't let pride lead you to destruction or to a fall but rather humble yourself before the Lord. You see, pride leads to destruction, but humility leads to grace and to our victory. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, To be clothed with humility, that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And if we are to have any chance of victory in life, it will only be through the grace of God. And God gives grace to the humble. So don't let pride lead you to failure, but humble yourself and allow God to lead you into His victory. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus, He he kind of fires back here a little bit by singling out Peter's greater sin. You know, the others are, are going to desert me and, and, and be made to scatter, but, but you're actually going to deny ever even knowing me. Not once, not twice, but three times you're going to deny me. You're going to deny ever knowing me or ever being associated with me. Okay? These other guys, they're going to scatter, but you're going to scatter and you're going to deny me. And as most of you are aware, this would be fulfilled. Just as Jesus said. And we're going to cover that when we get to it. It's at the end of the chapter, Matthew chapter 26. Okay, Uh, Jesus was not, I don't believe, trying to cut Peter down to size here and poke at him or to, you know, give him a zinger or any of that kind of stuff. I really believe, I genuinely feel that Jesus was trying to show Peter his shortcomings. He was trying to warn Peter not to trust in his flesh, not to trust in himself. But Peter is even more adamant. As we read in verse 35, he says, Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Peter goes as far as to say that his loyalty is unto death. That he would die before ever deserting the Lord or stumbling because of the Lord. Peter Again, filled with pride and such a high self-confidence, he claims the highest sense of loyalty to the Lord, that he would surrender his life before ever denying the Lord. His pride began spilling over to the other disciples as well. They too started making claims. None of them would be able to keep. As so often happens, sin spreads. Peter's pride is now affecting the other disciples and stirring up their own pride, and they all start telling the Lord, Lord, you're wrong. Do we realize how 
wrong that is to say, Lord, you know, you're, we believe you're God and we believe that you're sinless and we believe all this, but guess what? You're wrong about us. That's, that's pretty presumptuous to, to make such a statement. Sin, I, I believe it, it's dangerous like that. It, it spreads so quickly. Well, we're, gonna, we're not going to get in, de- in depth right there. As I mentioned, we're going to revisit Peter's denial at the end of this chapter. Uh, if you want to read ahead and get a peek, it, it's verses 69 through 75. Uh, if you want to read through and just see how that ends up playing out. But we'll get to it eventually. But for now, here's what I want to single out and make note of this morning uh, as our final point. Jesus knew better, or excuse me, knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Peter was so confident of himself, so sure that he would never be led to turn from the Lord, that he would never deny the Lord. But the Lord knew contrary. The Lord knew about Peter's weaknesses. The Lord knew how difficult it was going to get. Peter had had no idea what the next 12 plus hours were going to bring. But the Lord knew. And and you know, I believe the same holds true for us today. The the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. You know, we may think that we're strong in a certain area, and we may think that we'll never do something. I'll never do that. Don't say that, okay? Don't say that. But the Lord, He knows better. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our tendencies to rely upon ourselves. He knows where we struggle and how easy it is for us to stumble and to fall. Uh, we need to rely upon the Lord and not ourselves. Okay? There are certain things that we can be uh, boastful for. There are certain things that we can claim, but not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what He has done and because of what He has promised to us. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and call out for His grace to be upon us, to give us strength to make it through those trying times. In next week's portion of Scripture, we're going to see Jesus tell something to Peter that I think is very appropriate. He's going to tell Peter, the Spirit is indeed, the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 41. Jesus knew that the flesh was weak. Jesus knew that Peter's weakness was not in his spirit. Okay? He had, he was, whoo, yeah, he had going there. But it was in his flesh. You know, we have that war in our bodies going on. Our spirit says, let's do this, and our flesh says, no, I don't want to do that. And, and, and oftentimes we succumb to the flesh. We cannot trust anything to our flesh. It is weak, and so uh, and it's so easily tempted away from the Lord. Okay, it will fail us every single time. Peter was in the flesh at this time. Okay, and he made man. You know, if they were statements boasted in, in Christ, then maybe that would want be one thing. But definitely not. He's he's telling Christ, "You're wrong." Okay, let me tell. You, let me set the the story straight here, Lord. This is how it's really going to happen. He was weak in his flesh, and pride got the best of him. And so there you have it. Praise, promises, and pride. Okay, we looked at our, our, this portion of Scripture. We learned from Jesus that praise and worship is not about us. 
Okay, it's not about our circumstances or our feelings. It's about magnifying the Lord for who He is and what He's done for us. And we learned how we need to be prepared to, to stand for Christ. Okay, that times of testing will come and that when they do, we want to be ready for them. Okay? We don't want to be like the disciples that were made to stumble because of the Lord. In God's strength, let's be ready. We noted how even when we are faithless and we forget God's promises, that God still remains faithful. God's promises regarding the resurrection and the restoration, they were not dependent upon the ability of the disciples to remain faithful. It's not dependent upon our ability to remain faithful. They are in Christ. We'll make mistakes. We'll fall short. But God's promises never will. Peter showed us how pride makes us vulnerable to falling. And we need to be guarded against pride. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord, allow Him to shower us with His grace. And lastly, we just noted how the Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our flesh is weak. He knows where we struggle. He knows the difficulties and the temptations that we struggle with. We need to follow His leading, follow His guiding, listen to His word. Okay? He said, this is what's going to happen. And he said, no, that's not what's going to happen. He gave Him His word. And He's given us His word too. And so we can humble ourselves and, and yield ourselves to His Word and find grace to make it through. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. And Lord, as we uh, consider just a small portion of Scripture here this morning, I pray and trust and hope that these uh, words, Lord, that they were for us. Lord, that uh, for every one of us, You had something You wanted to say to us. Maybe You had a lot of things You wanted to say to us, Lord. Uh, maybe just a few things for others. Lord, wherever we may be, I pray and hope that we would just be encouraged by your word, that we'd be encouraged by your promises, by your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you'd give us grace. Lord, that we might uh, be able to stand for you. Lord, that we wouldn't be made to stumble uh, when times get tough. Lord, that when times get tough, we'd be able to praise you no matter what. So Father, we, we uh, thank you. And we ask for your blessings upon the remainder of our day as we go. Uh, those that are able to hang out for fellowship, pray your blessings just be upon our, our afternoon. Lord, again, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, meeting with us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.